0: Welcome, community of faith. I hope you're doing okay in the midst of all this quarantine. Laura and I are so excited today to start this new series in sickness and in health, how to stick together when you're stuck together. And you know, I was thinking this week, it's been such a weird year. 2020, it's like everything is, it is backwards almost. It, you know, last year they were saying, stay away from negative people. And this year they're saying, stay away from positive people, right? And it's the, it's my year this year, it's the year of the bald man, you know, in the past, they would make fun of a bald guy, maybe, but now we're the only ones that know how to cut our own hair with no barbers around. So we're kind of kind of in, you know, um, you know, the dumbest thing I bought right before all this was a 2020 planner, though, <laughs> you think about that, there's nothing, I mean, what is there to plan? The good thing is, there's a lot of productivity. In this quarantine. I mean, because of isolation, I finished three books last week and I want to tell you something. That's a lot of coloring. <laughs> we even Alexa's in on it. You know, she's I was saying, Hey Alexa, what's the weather this weekend? And she says, What do you care? You're not going anywhere. I'm pretty sure that one of you ladies out there listening right now is responsible for this whole thing. I was thinking about that. Because you prayed this prayer. God, do whatever it takes to keep my man home. And now the bars are closed. There's not any sporting events anywhere. And I know you're probably thinking now, I wish I could reverse that prayer, but it it doesn't really work that way. I know cleaning house now, you know, with everyone home is kind of like trying to brush your teeth after, while well, you're eating Oreos at the same time, right? And, uh, but... I talked to a guy the other day, and he said that he was feeling pretty good about his life because he said, whenever I start to feel down, I just remember that someone right now is quarantined with my ex. And he said, it cheers me up a lot. So I don't know about that one. <laughs> not going to say anything. A recent study found ladies, I know we, we've all of us have gained a little bit of extra weight. I know I have. Laura probably hasn't. I'm not sure, but... A recent study found that women who carry a little extra weight live longer than the men who mention it. So I just thought I'd let you know that. Quarantine's kind of turned us all into dogs. We roam the house all day looking for food. We're told no if we get too close to strangers, and we get really excited about car rides.
1: (laughs) I know after about 10 days in quarantine, our dog looked at us, and I'm pretty sure she was thinking, now you see why I chew on the couch, (laughs) right? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Does anybody know, can we start taking showers again or do we just keep washing our hands?
0: <laughs> That's gross. I mean,
1: these are <laughs> crazy times, right? But seriously, I mean, in the matter of just a few days, all of us went from probably complaining about the fact that we don't have enough time and we don't have enough time together to all of a sudden we're in isolation with 24-7, we're together. And now we find ourselves complaining about you know, how we hang the toilet paper Hmm. on the toilet paper roll, and that's assuming we even have toilet paper. (laughs) No kidding. Author speaker Glennon Doyle recently said this, I've never considered divorce, but quarantine has made me think twice about it. I don't know about you, but if you're feeling tension in your home, if you're feeling stress in the home, I just want you to know that you're absolutely not alone. Relationships are under a unique kind of stress right now, something that we've never experienced before. Even couples who've been married for decades are feeling it. I was slipping through the channels the other day and landed on Dr. Phil for a couple of minutes. How do you know you
0: watch Dr. Phil?
1: I don't. It was a a quarantine happening, but he had a couple on his show who had been married for 40 years, and they actually uh, mentor and and counsel couples at their church about marriage, couples that are struggling in marriage, and they were struggling. That's why they were talking to Dr. Phil. So all of this stress, all of the social distancing that's been imposed on us has kind of led to the perfect storm for a lot of relationships. Mm -hmm. I heard this week that alcohol sales in March were up by 55%. And if this continues for weeks and months, we're gonna find that that those numbers jump up. Mm -hmm. There's been an increase in domestic violence as well. The Houston Police Department reported 300 more calls of domestic violence just last month. That's up 20%. And you know, all of these things, the stress, the disruption of our schedule, the, the um, loss of job, and the fear and anxiety that we feel, all of those things are triggers for any kind of addiction. I heard that the internet porn sites had risen, the traffic to those sites had risen 18% in the last few weeks. I heard it summed up this way. Life is abnormal, and I feel subpar. That's where we all are right now. I want you to listen to a couple of prayer requests that we received at Community of Faith just this week. This one says, Today's been a trying day, and I really feel like I'm at the end of my emotional rope. I'm luckier than most, but I feel like I'm failing my kids and yelling way more than I should, and I feel spread way too thin. I'm tired and overwhelmed. Maybe you feel like that too. Listen to this one, I'm struggling to stay on the path. This time of uncertainty allows too much time for my mind to be all over the place. I'm asking God to help settle my mind and to look for Him, look to him for comfort. And here's another one, please pray for those suffering from drug and alcohol addictions. They're coming into our hospital very intoxicated. Some don't even make it in and they're drinking themselves at home mm. until they die. Mm. Or this one, my marriage needs a miracle. I've prayed, I've asked God to open communications between us and restore our marriage. I know it's not over. Just this morning, I got a text from someone saying, please pray for my marriage. Mark, I know we made a promise to each other in sickness and in health, but we didn't know it was going to be like this. Mm -mm. So how do we stick together when we're stuck together?
0: You know, I think in this time when we're all squeezed in together. It kind of magnifies tenfold any little issues that we've had or even the deep issues that we've had. And what we've tried to do is conjure up by sheer force of will the ability to, to say, I'm going to love that woman or I'm going to love that man. And can I tell you a little bit of truth? Jesus said the truth sets you free. The truth is, the Bible says, that this relationship-saving love is really not within us we really don't have it in us to do it so what do we do what are we going to do you think about it the apostle paul begins to give us some insight and we're going to need some help a lot of help from an outside source in 1 corinthians 13 the apostle paul he says it's time to put away those childish things when he's talking about love Put away those childish things, those those childish childish tools that helped you survive that dysfunctional upbringing of yours. It's not working now. And it's time to put those away. It's time to do something new, something different. God says, I want you to learn to love each other with my kind of love. To love like God does. How, How do we do that? Well, I'm glad you asked because... We just got through celebrating Easter, and I think this is a good time to realize that the Bible says Easter actually gives us some amazing principles for relationship. And we're going to look at some of those today, and then we're going to give you one specific thing to do at the end of this message that's going to change everything for many of you because you haven't ever practiced this before. One specific thing that will change everything. Easter gives us a new perspective on What relationships are supposed to be? The writer of Hebrews basically says, I want you to focus on Easter all year long. Listen to what he says. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Now, when I listen to that verse in Hebrews chapter 12, It's always been a little confusing to me because it's talking about this awful, excruciating, painful crucifixion. And it's saying that Jesus was anticipating joy for the joy set before him, literally anticipating joy. He endured the cross, but where's joy in the cross? And it took me a long time to realize that the joy that he was anticipating was me, was you, was having relationship with you and me and and he said, I'm going to endure this because on the other side of this, there's relationship that's going to bring me so much joy. That's the reason he laid down his life. See, Jesus didn't endure the cross because it was going to meet his needs or because it was going to make him happy or going to have a feel-good experience or some, you know, mushy feeling about it. He endured the cross because he saw that relationship was on the other side of the hard stuff. Isaiah, the prophet, talks about Jesus going to the cross as a prophecy. And it says this in Isaiah 50, verses 6 and 7, I gave my back to those who strike me, talking about the Messiah. My cheeks to those who pluck out the beard, that all happened to Jesus. I did not cover my face from humiliation and spitting, for the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I am not disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint. And I know that I will not be ashamed. Jesus, heading toward Jerusalem, knowing what was going to happen, he set his face like flint. He said, I know this is not going to be easy. I know this is going to be difficult. I know that this is going to be the hardest thing that I've ever done. But I'm going through it. I'm going to do it because there's joy on the other side. And I think the lesson of the cross has big implications for our marriages. You're saying, Mark, are you saying that marriage feels like a, crucif- you know, like a crucifixion or something? Well, yeah, <laughs> in a way, in some ways, we have to die to ourselves in some ways. See, Jesus was willing and able to go through extreme duress by focusing on the joy on the other side. On the joy on the other side of the crown of thorns, the joy on the other side of the nails driven in his hands. The joy of the, on the other side of the cross. Some of you are thinking right now, Mark, I'm not as excited about uh, this series as I thought I was going to be. What are the principles of Easter? And what do they show us about our own relationships? I want you to see this. If you're writing down notes, you might want to write this down. Number one, Easter says focus on joy, not my needs. Jesus says focus on Joy, not my needs. We have this, this idea in marriage that it's, we got married so that our needs could be met. But the number one marriage destroyer isn't adultery, not drifting apart slowly. Selfishness is the number one destroyer of marriages. And I see that all the time in the thousands and thousands of hours that I've counseled people in marriage. That's the number one destroyer. But Jesus says we overcome that by doing life his way. Jesus said in Matthew twenty twenty eight, the son of man, talking about himself, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus' death on the cross was that ultimate act of service to us. And he did for us on that cross what we could never do for ourselves. He took our place. He took our sin. He took all of that upon himself. I don't understand all about it, but the Bible says there was a spiritual thing that happened as that physical thing was happening. Two things happening at once. And Jesus, he, he took our place. He took our sin. He took our suffering. If a relationship is going to last, it's going to require Sacrifice. And sometimes it's going to feel like great sacrifice. It requires serving one another. And Jesus' example shows us the way to make that happen. Psychologist and author, Dr. John Gottman, he reports that 50% of all marriages end by year seven. He's done more statistical studies than almost anyone out there on marriage in America. 50% of all marriages end by year seven. That's not very encouraging. Not very encouraging, but one of the best ways to ensure that your marriage is going to last is to get in the habit of serving over selfishness. The University of Virginia's National Marriage Project in their State of Our Unions, Marriage in America, reports this. Married fathers and mothers who make a regular practice of generously serving one another enjoy markedly higher levels of marital quality and stability. In fact, they found that they were 32% more likely to report being happily married, those that generously served each other.
1: You know, I think we never truly understand how selfish we are until we get married. I think that's true. You know, when we're dating, we're all kind of putting on our best self. We want everybody um, to see the best things, maybe not really an accurate picture of who we are. I mean, (laughs) I... You probably didn't know how gassy he was hey, until hey, you got hey. married, and now you do. I wasn't talking about oh, you yeah, specifically. Okay. Um, maybe, specifically. Maybe you didn't know that her feet stink until you got married, but, but <laughs> now you know, right? Things get real after you get married. Author Gary Thomas of the book Sacred Marriage says it takes 9 to 14 years for a couple to kind of make that shift from me to we. How long? 9 to 14 years to to make a change Hmm. from everything's all about me to everything's all about us, and that's what it requires to have a successful marriage. One of the best ways we can begin to make that shift, again, is like Mark said, to begin to focus on the joy of serving one another. Mark chapter 10, verse 43 starts with these words, If any man would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. God's wisdom is completely different mm. than the world's, isn't it? Deny myself, I mean, that's countercultural. How many of us ever do that, honestly, on any given day? But that's God's plan for marriage. It says, I'm committing myself to you. I'm committing myself to build you up, to cheer you on, to do what's best for you. This is gonna cost me and I know it. Mm. It's gonna cost me time, it's gonna cost me energy, it's gonna cost me money even. I'm gonna choose to say, you go first. I'm gonna move to the back of the line. It's putting your interests ahead of my interest. The definition of serve that I read this week says, serve is to prepare and to offer. And I thought those words were interesting, but to do that, it requires careful thought that I'm thinking about my spouse and what their needs are and what may bring pleasure to them, what may uh, make their life a little bit easier, what their desires are and their dreams are. I put careful thought into that. And as I figure those things out, I think about how I can help to make the burden lighter, how I can help to ease the way, how I can help to meet those needs, and then I offer my thought-out service to my spouse. Mm. Another definition of serve is to promote the interest of, and I think that's really important when we think about our marriages. If you think about Jesus and his death on the cross, he was completely promoting our interests. He thought about our need, he thought about our desperation, he thought about our situation, and that caused him to lay down his life for us. That's the picture of what it means to choose joy, to serve one another. I think of the other person first. I work to promote the interests of my spouse above my own, no matter the cost to me.
0: You know, I think our our selfishness a lot of times, Laura, it shows up in the little things. The Song of Solomon is a whole book of the Bible that's talking about love. And the wisest man who ever lived penned it. And he wrote this. He says, catch for us the foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards our vineyards that are in bloom. When he's talking about the little foxes in this book, he's talking about the little things that, that, the little selfish things that we do, really. The small things, because the small things end up being the big things. A lot of us, we bury our relationship, we bury our marriage by the teaspoon. Just little digs, little digs, little digs. And the owner of a, a, a vineyard in Napa Valley in California said, It takes years of tender care to cover these vines and and get them to the point where they actually give good wine from the grapes. But she said, you know, the big animals you can keep out, but one of the biggest pests are little foxes that come in and they'll chew and gnaw on the very root right at the bottom uh, of the vine and kill the whole vine if you're not careful and you don't keep them out. And that's what I think Solomon is talking about. It's those little things... That, that cut away at the very life source of our relationships. And if we're not careful, it's these little acts of selfishness that before we know it have destroyed our relationship. You know, I know guys, for example, I'm talking to you out there. Every single one of you that's married would give your life, would stand in front of you, take a bullet for your wife. I know that. I think she probably knows that, but How about, how do you react when you're called on in those little things like to sacrifice time or to sacrifice energy or emotions or finances for the sake of your spouse? When was the last time that you gave yourself in a sacrificial way for your wife? See, marriage is a constant death and resurrection. And we have to die to our selfish interest and come to life as I promote the interest of the one that I love. In marriage, we're to give out. In fact, we're to out-give, really. Out-give, out-love, out-serve our spouse.
1: So we choose joy over selfishness, and the second thing is to choose, focus on joy and not my rights. What was the reason for the cross? Was it for salvation, for forgiveness, for peace? I think all of those things are true, but I think I could make an argument that the real reason for the cross, for Jesus' death on the cross, was for intimacy. His death and resurrection, of course, bring us salvation, but God's purpose in our salvation was so that we would have intimacy with Him. It was our relationship with Him that was broken, and that's why God sent Jesus to the cross. That was the most important thing to him, to repair our relationship so that we could have intimacy with him. And you know, Jesus lived that kind of life of radical love. We saw him all through scripture turn, turn over the laws of religion of the day, turn over everything upside down and inside out. He challenged the rules of the day. He placed a higher value on people and on relationship always. You see that all throughout scripture. He didn't care that much about the legalistic rules of the day. We find joy when we realize that relationships matter more than rights and rules.
0: Hmm, that's true. You know, all of us, we have these kind of unwritten rules in our, our marriages. You could call them expectations. They're really, we would call them rights. I have rights. You know, America's all about our rights. And some of you, all of us really, we came into marriage thinking, this is what I expect you to do for me. This is my rights. In marriage. I'm going to do some things for you. You're going to do some things for me. And that seems to make sense. But here's what Jesus did when he went to the cross. The Bible tells us really clearly, it says, even though he was God, he didn't hold on to his right to be worshiped, but he humbled himself and served. And just like Jesus did, I want you to not hold on to your rights. This is my right. And you think, in fact, some of you might want to just go and List all the expectations that you have of your husband or of your wife. And at the end of that, I want you to put a big X through all of it and give all of those over to God. Sometimes you have to give up on being right and focus instead on doing right yourself. It's not easy. It goes against our self-protective and our self-centered human nature. But the bottom line is, Intimacy is more important than being right. And you know what happens as you begin to serve each other and do this with each other? You become friends. And that's really what marriage is. In fact, in the Song of Solomon, that wise man, he wrote about love. He said, this is my beloved and this is my friend. Laura has become my best friend in life marriage is a journey between friends holding hands walking through life together but you know what i've noticed about a lot of us we treat our spouse worse than we would ever treat someone that we called a friend i heard about a priest and a nun who were caught in a, a snowstorm and it was just freezing cold and they came upon a little cabin and so they went into the cabin and uh, it was nighttime. And they said, oh, there's blankets. That's great. Let, let's see if we can at least get warm. So uh, there was a sleeping bag, and the priest said, I'll take the sleeping bag. You sleep on the bed, sister, with the, the blankets on you. And so he put a blanket over climbed in his sleeping bag, zipped it up, took him a little bit of time, and he was just about to fall asleep when he heard her say, Father, um, I I'm so cold still. And he goes, well, let me get you another blanket. So he unzipped, got out got another blanket, put it on her, laid back down, zipped himself all up. Father, I'm still so cold. Let me get you another blanket. And so he gets another blanket, finds another one, puts it on her, gets back in, does the whole thing again. And again, she says, I'm still cold. And the priest says, sister, you know, we're out here in the middle of nowhere. So let's just, why don't we just act like we're husband and wife? No one will ever no and she said well that sounds good to me so the priest said get up and get your own stupid blanket okay that's kind of corny but you get the idea it's what we do with each other is we tend to have this this back and forth that we treat each other in ways that we would never treat even a friend there was a large study that said this the determining factor whether wives feel satisfied with the sex in your marriage is by 70% the quality of your friendship. For men, the determining factor by 70%? The quality of your friendship. (laughs) Maybe we
1: do come from the same planet after all. (laughs) I'm not sure. (laughs) The third thing that we can do to stay together is to focus on joy, not on my happiness. The goal of being happy I think is what many of us step into our marriage relationships with. We think I'm going to marry this guy or I'm going to marry this girl and we're going to live happily ever Mm -hmm. after. But the truth is we get married and instead we find ourselves unhappy and dissatisfied. Happiness honestly is not a good goal for marriage or really even for life. Mm -hmm. There are much better things that can be your goal. Focusing on momentary happiness leads to dissatisfaction. God has something better for us. God's goal for us is growth. The Bible talks about growth all the time. We see 2 Peter 3.18 says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Hebrews 6.1 says, let us press on to maturity. And 2 Thessalonians 1.5, for he is using your sufferings to make you ready for his kingdom. God's plan is that we would grow. He's doing a good work in you. If you move your focus from a search for happiness to a commitment for growth then you're going to find the byproduct is joy and joy is so much better than happiness joy is everlasting it doesn't depend on our moods it doesn't depend on the circumstances of the day focusing on growth leads to joy growing people create growing joyful intimate marriages when i learn to be compassionate when i learn to grow in, the, in vulnerability and mm. truth-telling, when I learn to give and receive forgiveness, when I understand the, the great sacrifice that God made to forgive me, then I find that I have compassion for Mark. Mm. I find that we can have the vulnerability and the intimacy that we're looking for. I find that I have the ability to accept his weaknesses, his imperfections, and to love him anyway. That's what growth does for us, that's what God wants for our marriage relationships. Maybe you need to turn to your spouse right where you are and say, honey, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry I've been depending on you for my happiness. Let's throw that dream out. And instead, let's commit ourselves to growth, growing together and growing individually. That's God's plan for us. Gary Thomas, again, in his book, Sacred Marriage, said that couples who hang in there through those first early years and with God's grace commit themselves to growth they find that they have greater levels of marital happiness all across the years. He's seen in his studies, couples that have been married for 35 years that still report the same levels of happiness and joy as couples who are newly married. That's interesting I to think hear. you and
0: I are more happy than we've ever been in our marriage. I think and, that's true. Yeah,
1: And it's been, I believe, because of our commitment to grow, to know one another, to, to work on ourselves and become all that God designed for us to be. I read about a pastor's wife who was celebrating her 25th wedding anniversary. And she was kind of struggling in her marriage at the time and struggling on the day of the celebration. They had a big party. Everybody from the church had gathered to congratulate them. And there was one woman there in her 80s and she saw the pastor's wife and saw that she was kind of having a hard day that day. And she came over, went up to the side of the pastor's wife and just whispered in her ear. She said, hang in there, honey. The next 25 years are going to be great. It's those first 25 that are really hard.
0: <laughs> you know, I think us being connected, to has because we've put aside all those things, worrying about our needs and our rights, and we're, we feel connected to each other like mm-hmm. we've never felt. And that's been such a revelation, I think. That's true. What if God designed marriage to make us like himself, even more than to make us happy? What if God said... Okay, I've got a tool that I'm going to use that's going to make you like me. And you know what? It says Jesus learned obedience by the things that he suffered. So there's going to be some suffering in it. In fact, Paul said, if you get married, you're going to have trouble. He just point blank told us that. The thing about marriage and about love, love is initiating. It's not dependent on the response of your mate. And as we look at this, we see it in God. In Romans 5, 8, we're still talking about the cross. It says, but God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He he didn't say, oh, those lovable people. I'm going to go and initiate love toward them. I'm going to die for them. I'm going to give this self-sacrifice for them. And I, I think when we get that, principle of Easter down it, it demonstrates it means that we've got to continually initiate and demonstrate self-sacrificing love toward our spouse regardless of the response if you go 50 50 or even 75 25 it's not enough 100% even if zero is coming back you keep giving hundred percent first Peter chapter 3 verses 8 and 9 Peter's been talking about marriage and he sums up his counsel to wives and husbands. He says this, to sum up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you were called for the very person, for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. Love is unconditional. It's not based on performance. And this is the outworking of what we've been talking about, of self-sacrifice. You not only initiate love when it's deserved, but when it's undeserved. And you also steadily maintain love over the long haul, particularly when your spouse is unlovable.
1: The fourth way we stick together is by focusing on Jesus in His way. That leads to joy. Joy. How do we run this marathon called marriage without quitting? I have a lot of friends who are distance runners. I've never been one. I cheer them on from the sidelines, but I always hear the distance runners talk about the wall. Have you ever heard about the wall? It's about that 20 mile mark where suddenly all their glycogen levels, the energy stores in their muscles are depleted and the runner feels fatigue. Oftentimes they have to slow down, they have to stop. I mean, that's why runners do that carb loading the night before and they're eating snacks along the way. They're trying to keep those energy stores going so that fatigue doesn't That's what hit. I'm doing
0: in quarantine.
1: <laughs> I've been pretty much carb loading in <laughs> quarantine as well. They talk about the COVID-19, yeah. <laughs> here it comes. Maybe during this crisis, you feel like you've hit a wall in your marriage or maybe with your kids or something else in your life in some other way. The Bible tells us what to do when that happens. Remember those verses that Mark shared in the beginning from Hebrews, let me read you the whole verse. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Fix your eyes on Jesus, that's how you make it through. That's how you break through that wall. It says he's the author and perfecter of our faith. Another version says that he is the finisher, the completer. He's the one who dreamed up what marriage is supposed to be. He knows how it's supposed to work. He's the author. And he's the one that's going to provide the wisdom and the strength to be able to carry it out. It says he's the finisher. He's the fixer. When we look to him, when we fix our eyes on him. He finishes it for us. Have you ever watched a professional road race, maybe like the Tour de France? I never knew, but it takes more than just one uh, supremely gifted and skilled racer to win that race. Every rider has a whole team of riders riding with them, alongside them. In the Tour de France, they have eight team members. Now, that's sacrifice. Mm. I mean, giving yourself putting in years of training and, and even the grueling aspects of the race itself and you're doing it Also, the lead racer wins the race, not you, the rest of the team. That's a total sacrifice. One of those team members is called the domestique. He's essentially a helper rider. He does a lot of things for the team. He would even give his bike to the lead rider if the lead rider had mechanical difficulties. But the most important thing he does is set the pace for the team. He goes out front, and he leads the way. He blocks the wind from the lead racer. He takes off at his fastest race, providing draft for the lead racer. And he does it for as long and as fast as he can. And then when he tires out, he drops back. And another member of the team will come up and be that pace setter. That's interesting to me about how the race is won that way. But we have something even better. In John chapter 14, Jesus was talking to his disciples and he was telling them that he was going to have to leave. And they weren't super excited about that. And then Jesus said to them, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. Jesus said, I have to go. But when I do, God's going to send you another helper just like me, the Holy Spirit. And he's going to be here with you forever. He's the pace setter for your marriage. God sent Jesus to lay down his life for you and for your spouse. And then he sent the Holy Spirit to be here, to come alongside you, to be your helper, to set the pace. He's your domestique, as they would say, except he won't ever drop out of the race. He has the power and the ability to go the distance with you, to draft you all the way along to the finish line, to help you win the race. He has the power for you to do it. And get this, the word domestique in French, it actually means servant. That pacemaker is a servant of the team. He serves the leader of the race. That's what Jesus is saying in these verses. He wants to serve you. He wants to come alongside you and serve you. When you hit the wall, fix your eyes on Jesus. Even better, fix your eyes on Jesus before you hit the wall. Do it today and every day forward. That's how we're going to make it. That's how we'll be able to finish strong in our relationships.
0: Well, You've had one of two reactions as as Laura and I have gone through this. Either you've been the one that's going like, yeah, okay, I'm going to buck up. I'm going to do this. I can do this. I think I can do this. Or you've been going like, I can't do this. I'm just getting more and more discouraged. The more you talk about it, the more discouraged I am. I can't do it. Can I just tell you that the second response is a more accurate response than the first one? See, God already knew that we can't do it. In fact, he designed marriage to bring us to the end of ourselves. I told you I was going to give you one thing to do. So this one thing that I'm going to give you to do begins to make a change in that. Over these next few weeks, Laura and I are going to be sharing with you um, some tools that are infused with resurrection power. And that's the only way that we can do this thing. Because see, without it, without God in in the mix... I don't even want to it doesn't seem fair doesn't seem right why shouldn't i get my needs met why shouldn't you know i have my rights and and we have all of these feelings you know if i would do that for him i hear this all the time i would do that for him if he would do this for me but he won't do this for me god says hey hey here's what i want you to do i want you to do this one thing it's called spiritual breathing it's being filled with the Holy Spirit. Are you a believer? Have you stepped in to this relationship with God? If you're not, that's the first thing you have to do is step in and say, I'm all out. God, I want you. Jesus, I want you. I want you to be everything for me. Be the Lord, be the boss of my life. I want to follow your principles. I'm stepping in. That's the first step. But here's the thing. If you're a believer, here's the one thing that I'm going to ask you to do. I want you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. How do you do that? How do you be filled with the Holy Spirit? Jesus said, if you as an earthly father know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the best gift of all, the Holy Spirit, to you? How do you be filled? You just ask. Because you see, what happened when you stepped into this journey with God, is that the Holy Spirit of God, who is God, the Spirit of Jesus came to live inside of you. But just because the Spirit is inside of you doesn't mean that He's filling you, empowering you. You have to ask for that. I call it spiritual breathing because one of the things that blocks that is the sin in our life. If you've been selfish, if you've been you know, doing things in a selfish way or just losing your temper, what I want you to do is I want you to exhale. How do you do that? The Bible says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins. He'll cleanse us from everything. So what you do is you say, I agree with you. That's what the word confess means, to agree with. I agree with you, God, that I've done wrong. Forgive me of that. And just get that sin out there before him. And then that's like an exhale, (sighs) getting the carbon dioxide out. And then I want you to breathe in. And you can almost do it like in in a real motion, you know, like breathing in. I ask you to fill me, Holy Spirit, anew. I ask you to fill me with all that you are. And see, here's what happens. You say, that seems almost too simple. But it's what you and I learned somewhere around year seven or eight in our marriage that changed everything because we knew a lot of principles and we couldn't do them. In fact, we got to the point we didn't even want to. Right. And and when we began to be filled with the Holy Spirit, the Bible says that what the results of being filled with the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Wow. If you're a spouse that gives those things out instead of what you've been giving out, it's going to turn everything around. So. Don't be discouraged. I want you to do that one thing because you can't do it. So you don't need to be discouraged, but God can do it. The same Jesus who died on the cross, who endured the cross for the joy set before him, is living in you through his spirit. He wants to endure whatever it takes for you to have the joy of relationship together. So that's where it starts. Okay? And we'll be talking some really specific things. We'll be talking in some general principles over these next few weeks. But this is going to change everything. I promise you, if you'll practice spiritual breathing this week, your life will never be the same. Let me pray over you. Father, I pray for every person within the sound of my voice, every husband, every wife, even people in other relationships, every single believer, that they would learn to be filled with your Spirit. Holy Spirit, you're just waiting for that so that you can infuse them with power. God, I know some of us out there, we haven't ever stepped into this journey with you. Give us the courage to do that, just to receive you as Lord of our lives, as boss of our lives, to follow your principles and let your Holy Spirit come to live inside of us. God, we're asking for nothing less than resurrection. Some of our marriages are right at at the point of death. Some of our marriages seem like they're already dead and buried. But I'm asking God that you would do what only you can do, that you would give life to dead things, that you would do it as we trust your Holy Spirit to fill us and empower us, that we would live this week empowered by you. Just the simple thing of saying, oh, I lost my temper again. I'm sorry, God. Holy Spirit, fill me now. Fill me up because I want you to have love, joy, peace, all of these things, goodness and gentleness and kindness, self-control coming out. Come kingdom of God upon us, be done will of God. And I know you said in your word, it's your will that every single one of us believers be filled with your spirit. Let us practice this this week, even while we're stuck in quarantine. And let us see the changes that begin to happen And God, open our minds for next week and the weeks that follow as we step into these resurrection-powered tools for marriage. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you, community of faith. Laura loves you. We're here for you. And we just want you to know that we'll be praying for you this week. Keep sending in those prayer requests. It's really important to us to get to pray for you. I know that we're struggling, but we can do this together. The Holy Spirit's going to be there walking with you. You're not alone.